Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Been like following your journey, and <laughs> I have to say, like I really admire your courage. I love how you are like sharing your process. Thank um, you. You're welcome. And yeah, so maybe you can tell me a little bit about how that all started. So you were a political science major. You- yes. There's the short story and the long story. So you know, I could go into either, but basically what. Okay, what really um, sparked everything was, yeah, I was a political science major, and I talked about that in my first video, actually, when I decided to speak up about, you know, the state of the world, but I wasn't citing that um, to say that I, you know, I'm speaking up or thinking how I think because I studied political science. It was actually on the contrary. It was um, when we got sent home for COVID, um, I think that that was March, mid-March. Um, I really, I mean, I was in the process of still completing my thesis and things like that. I've always had questions about, you know, something just didn't fit together the way that I thought that they fit together. And so when I was doing all that research, I just kept the rabbit hole was going deeper and deeper. And um, yeah, I just, that's what really sparked me to speak out was realizing that so much of what I have literally, you know, spent a lot of money, got a lot of loans and everything to study, um, was catered towards one side of the conversation. It wasn't based on truth. It was largely based on, it was, it was propaganda for the most part. So that, you know, really upset me. I, when I was thinking of speaking up, um, the hesitation was, I don't want to disrespect my school. You know, I have a lot of respect for my school, things like that. Um, but I also, you know, the fear of, losing friends and all that stuff um, because we all had the same education. And um, yeah, I I started to get like stomach aches um, because I felt so sick over what I discovered about so many topics, not even just the ones that I've already discovered, just so many things that um, was never revealed to us, especially in my department, which is supposed to be studying these topics in order to understand them, right? Not you know, grooming us to think a certain way. So when I kind of came to that conclusion, I was like, I would rather be honest about it um, and lose things that are not real, that are not really mine, than, you know, keep all that stuff and feel this way, you know? So that's the, that's the short story. (laughs) Let's back up a bit and let's get back to that. Actually. I'd like to hear more about that journey. Um, but tell me, so you were a political science major, you were writing your thesis, and then, so you were a senior, and yes. you, gra- you graduated even though, did you ever go back to classes, or no? No, so, yeah, it's always weird when I'm talking about my school journey, because yeah. I always say, like, I graduated, sort of, um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, we didn't have a graduation. Um, I believe that we're supposed to have one next year. I don't, I, I won't be attending, um, but technically, we've graduated. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I was a senior at the end of all this. So yeah, I, it was all online after March. Studying political science and what were you writing your thesis on? And is, 
political science something you always wanted to go into? What did you initially plan to do with that? Like what mm -hmm. was leading up to this? So initially when I went to school, um, I went for psychology. So I, I think that that's a common thing um, when people are, are thinking that they want to make an impact, they want to make a difference, um, but not really sure what specifically. I started as a neuroscience major. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you get it. <laughs> my mom did the same thing. Um, and a lot of the kids actually that were in my psych classes ended up um, transferring to a different major as well. But I, when I started school, I had, my dream has always been to be a lawyer, but I never thought that that was attainable. So I, I had this mentality in high school of I have these big dreams, but there's no chance. There's no way I could ever do those things. And after I you know, got to school and I realized I can do these things and I had one class, um, it was American political thought, incredible class. And that was just an elective. And um, in that class, I realized I think I want to do political science and um, go to law school. So that's been my plan this whole time. Um, that has definitely, a lot of that has shifted, you know, especially given the state of the world right now, there's so much that, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, taking small steps at a time to see what opens up. Um, but yeah, so I, I was doing, this is actually part of my story. My thesis is part of my, you know, waking up story. Um, I don't know. Are you familiar with the walk away campaign? Yeah. So I wrote, yeah, I wrote about this on that page. Um, and a lot of people resonated with this because I remember uh, when that whole thing happened where the Trump administration was, um, you know, basically deregulating the internet or repealing net neutrality. There's a lot of ways that it's worded that are a little misleading, but I remember being so distraught. So I was like a sophomore in college and I was like totally thrown over that. And I had no idea what that meant. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> so I- your thesis on that or? Yeah, so I was dedicated to doing my thesis on something that was, that I didn't really understand, but I felt passionate about. So I wanted to make sure that it was, um, I was going to learn, but I, w I was going to learn something that was gonna be beneficial to understanding it, because I'm gonna be doing all this in-depth research. And I was pretty um, positive that I was, you know, it was going to be as horrible as I imagined and all this stuff. Um, and when I did research, I did research on the connection basically between, um, the repealing of net neutrality and the rise of cryptocurrency because I was trying to just see if there was any outside influences on that decision because in my young brain, it made no sense. And I say young, speaking of like a year ago, because so much <laughs> has happened since then. And that's when, you know, the rabbit hole, um, you know, that journey started for me. And I just, the more research I did, the more I saw that even the way that my professors would talk about certain policies in class or, um, you know, just lead me to an answer rather than leading me to understanding the, the answer. Um, that just made me realize there are so many reasons why we all identify with the Democrat Party or identify with the left, things like that. And I realized so much of what I um, agree with and so much of what the reality and the truth is of the world is um, more so on the right, at least for me. So that's a huge piece that really led me there. This is really interesting. You started off, you were writing your thesis on the walkaway campaign. and what No, 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 sorry. Okay. I, I, I was bringing that up to say that I shared okay. this on the walkaway campaign. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Very, okay, yes, I love the walkaway. Yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah. I recommend it to everyone. 
Absolutely. It's great mm-hmm. to see everybody's stories, their journeys, and how they mm-hmm. got from, you know. Very comforting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'm very curious, like, so what was the premise of your thesis? What were you studying? And then what was the big moment where you started to say, this doesn't line up with what I thought? I, what I've realized is that there are so many things over the years, and it goes along with um, this research as well, that I... I guess it was like a seed planted. So I would, I would pick up on things throughout that journey where I, I went into it absolutely biased. I was thinking, um, you know, Donald Trump is trying to, I literally, and it's like embarrassing to even say how much I did not understand net neutrality, but I literally thought it was like, you know, keeping internet access away from underprivileged communities. And um, that's what a lot of people actually, what I found that they believe that it, that it is. Um, And this is when I started to realize the more that I was learning about the policy itself and learning about um, who supported this policy and other policies um, that are also, you know, on the left and and regulation in general, I started to see how the wording, it was the wording specifically um, of the policy of Obama's net neutrality that I realized it was targeting emotion. That's why I, as a young person, was so impacted by the repeal of it because the way that it was painted, um, it pulled on my emotions. It pulled on my, you know, my good hearted um, view of the world of, I don't want, you know, all this to be taken away from those that can't afford, you know, internet and things like that. This was where my mind went. And when I started to see that that wasn't what it is, I started to look at all policies and the wording behind um, or the wording that leads the policies into the forefront of the conversation. And that's when everything kind of exploded for me was it takes research to understand the things um, on the right, but on the left, all it takes is a slogan. And it made me question everything that I um, thought that I stood for, that I believed, and all because of the internet. Um, but yeah, you always think of things like like regulation. They paint it in such a way to um, make you feel as though they're advocating for the little man or things like that. But it's it's really none of that. So that's really what happened in my brain. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I want to hear more about like some of those shifts for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, so your thesis itself was on the uh, neutrality platforms. Yeah. So it was, it was, I, what I wanted to do was compare two things that were happening at the same time. So because it happened, it was in 2017 in December um, when both net neutrality was repealed and um, Bitcoin spiked in um, price. So I wanted to see if there was any correlation because Bitcoin or cryptocurrency is something that is not really we see it as something separate from the government because it's unregulated, things like that. But it was so, um, you have this thing that is so unregulated and it can absolutely change the course of American history. If this, if cryptocurrency becomes, uh, something that everybody invests in. And then also you have at the same time, a complete deregulation of, um, the internet just to simplify it. Um, but, I just found that that was just too much of a coincidence and um, it ended up being that they're not correlated at all, but I wanted to see if, if I could learn about two things that I was interested in at one time. So it was kind of more for me than for the purpose of the thesis, but it serves me well. No, absolutely. And I think that that is the best way to do research. That's yeah. 
integrity. You went into it really seeking answers. You were looking to yeah. find some truth and to make sense of something. Right. Uh, and I think a lot of people go into research with, you know, they have their hypothesis and they want to prove their hypothesis. Right, right. You know, why, you know, the, I, we hear a lot of like, you know, science can't be biased because, you know, it's just the discovery, it's a scientific method. Well, the method of science itself is not biased. However, human beings have bias, right? Right. Typically where the bias lies is that they have a hypothesis and people set out whether they're conscious of it or not, but they usually seek to find confirmation for Exactly, it. right. So you actually found that your hypothesis was not accurate. Right. Um, that there was no correlation, but you discovered a lot about your own worldview in the process which I personally, I think is the per should be the purpose of school, right? I, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> That's something that I realized actually through that process was that, and I know that, you know, it, it, a lot of students don't want to actually learn. It's part of just getting it done, um, which is, I guess, partially normal because it's a lot of work. But what I realized through that process was like my thirst for actual knowledge was not quenched over the last few years of studying. And it's not because I didn't gain anything from my um, experience. It's just I started to really see in my last year of school what it's really all about. Like, you really do get out of it what you put into it. And no, I didn't prove my hypothesis in my thesis, but I learned how to be a student, to be honest. That was the biggest. And that's why when I was sent home and I had to complete my thesis at home without, you know, going in um, to talk to my professor, things like that. My I, my mom used to, like, say, you need to you need to get out of your room. You need to stop researching. Like, I wouldn't... I couldn't even pull myself away from my computer because I, it wasn't just about the thesis anymore. It was, oh my gosh, there's so much more out there that I, I haven't been a student of the world for the last few years. And right now it's all exploding in my face of like, you have so much more to learn if you actually, there's so much that I was taught in political science classes that if I had understood how to put my um, my focus into the right areas and have the actual goal not to be to prove an outcome, but to actually learn something, that's the thing that I think is missing for a lot of students is that we're not going into it to learn something. We already have the answer and then we're shown how we got that answer. That's the biggest um, thing that I found was so skewed in academia after coming to this revelation. You're not being taught critical thinking. You're being right. taught how to prove a hypothesis. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a huge problem in academia currently. Yeah. What, um, what were some of the things that you feel like you were being taught that led you to have kind of a clouded view when you were in school? And how did that shift when you went home to study? And what was... Sorry, it's a lot of questions at once. You can <laughs> it apart. Um, but what was, was there maybe like one thing that, you know, was kind of that light bulb moment or like a light bulb book or right. story? Yeah. More so, I, I think, so I, I have a few in my mind. Um, what I realized is that 
you don't realize in the moment when you're being taught that it's extremely biased, right? And I've actually, my, my original advisor, I've had two advisors at my school, but the one that I had in the beginning who actually taught that first class um, that made me switch to political science, I never understood this at the time. And this is actually really bad. It shows you how bad this is, um, how bad academia is. He, he would call himself a Marxist and he would talk about the word. Yes. But, but, and I was a political science student and in my mind and in all of our minds, actually, um, my department, that wasn't a bad thing. And I remember going to my computer and searching, like I couldn't grasp what Marxism was. And I have read Karl Marx, things like that. That's why this was so, this is what I realized at the end is that I've done all the, um, the work, like I've read all the books and all the pieces from different philosophers, but it was never pieced into a worldview for me. Well, it was, but just a false one. And um, so what I think happened, and also the skewed perception is not just in college. I, now that I have this understanding, all these, you know, memories come up of what we were taught in like health class or things that we were taught in um, history, all, all these different topics that I'm like, wow, like, and I really, I bought it. I always thought of myself to be an independent thinker. And, you know, I'm always a person who plays devil's advocate, but I was playing devil's advocate with those arguments. So it's like, if you know how there's that conversation now about what is the counter movement, right? Like who's, what's the counterculture? You always think like, that's the counterculture. Um, That's like the Marxists and all that stuff. That's um, the group of people who are actually holding the truth. And, you know, they're the ones that are thinking differently than the rest of the world. And then when you like have that breakout moment of, oh my gosh, that was brainwash. And I think that my first moment, to actually realize this was when um, it was actually conversations with other people in my major where I didn't realize that I thought differently. It was when like Alabama, I, they, they placed heavy restrictions on abortion, right? Um, and social media blew up. And I, at this time, um, would have absolutely called myself pro-choice. And it wasn't because I knew anything about it. It was because I didn't care. It was separate from me. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'm pro-choice because, you know, the left is the default position. Um, And I know I'm getting into specific policy, but this is what really broke me into um, looking at everything was there, there's, there was somebody in my major, he was a really good friend of mine. And when this happened, I was, and and social media was all upset. Everybody that we knew was posting things like men can't have a voice in this, all this stuff. And I, I just asked the simple question. I was like, I just don't understand why men can't have a voice because you know, half of the, the child is the man's. And it was just a question. It wasn't even me pushing my viewpoint. I didn't have a viewpoint. It was a question. And I was berated. Um, that I, how dare I tell, tell a woman, I'm a woman, A, and B, I'm not telling a woman what to do with her body, but just a question. I, and yeah, this man, boy, man, um, basically just told me that I have no right to tell a woman um, what she can do with her body and all this stuff. How dare I ask that question and everything. There was no, it couldn't even get into a real conversation because immediately I was just bad for asking that question. And that triggered something in me of these are my peers. We're studying in the same classes. Um, we live in the same state, like all the, like we live, we have the same world yet. 
I can't even ask this question um, to further understand. And um, so that was the first one. And then the second one that comes to my mind um, is I used to do Model UN. Um, so in, in Boston, that would be at Harvard. Um, we would just all go and, you know, do a mock United Nations. It was always fun. But um, it was the group that I went with from my school. And you know, we, we all stayed at the hotel and we would always like stay up and have like, you know, in-depth conversations. It's my favorite thing to do. And I was the only one that, um, it was basically just an argument. Um, and I wasn't trying to argue, but they were saying that certain books should be banned. Um, you should be kicked out of just, yeah, you should be kicked out of school. If you ever say anything that could be considered hate speech, all this stuff. And they were, they were saying that, um, I'm a terrible person for thinking that the Confederate flag shouldn't be banned. And I was trying to explain, it's not about the content of the flag or of a certain book or certain speech. It's the premise. And that was another moment where I was like, there's something so off about the fact that I can't have this dialogue right now. Like we literally, it, it would erupt into an argument. And I just, um, that's when I was like, I, I'm not, in the same headspace as my peers anymore. Right. Yeah. Would growing up, how, how are your family's views? Like, do you, do you align with them now? Or did you, were, was your family left before? Like, yeah. Well, they actually, they align with me. I think that they, they trust me. <laughs> um, because I remember my mom always used to say that, um, I mean, she's always voted Republican, but she couldn't understand it. It was so, complex. And that's another thing that I found um, in the narrative of the left is that they make it complicated so that you can't, you can't make sense of anything because there's no making sense of that kind of um, gymnastics that they're playing in your brain. On the right, that's why I realize on the right, all it takes is a little bit of research to understand where certain puzzle pieces fit. Things make sense. Nothing makes sense um, in a world of Democrats um, is what I really realized. And that's why I think I was confused throughout college because it was just so much noise. So once I started to, you know, really dig in and do my own actual research, um, they really they were, they were also thirsting for that knowledge. So I would, you know, share the information that I found. We've always, yeah, like I said, my parents have always voted Republican, but we were never like super conservative and everything until now. I definitely would consider all of us pretty conservative. <laughs> <laughs> so you bring up like how you couldn't even voice, you know, your, a question, not even your opinions. You were just asking questions, things that didn't make sense to you. You wanted answers to you want to open a discussion so our first you know bill of, bill of rights is the uh free speech right freedom of speech that and there's a reason it's number one right. so that is one of the primary tenets of this country um so it's very interesting that we're in we're seeing a time where that is really coming into question uh with the cancel culture and what has your experience been with that you know <laughs> Moving. feel like you canceled have you felt like the need to censor yourself um have you experienced difficulty communicating with people who you thought you trusted and thought you could have you know amicable discussion well this is where it comes in it's really important that i you know have always played devil's advocate because i um 
I think that I've really set myself up to not really be afraid of that. Um, and that's, that's been really good for me. I was hesitant, like I said, when I first did all this research, because I knew once I ripped that bandaid off, there's no turning back. And I also knew that I wasn't going to apologize. So I was preparing myself mentally. Um, and yeah, so when I when I did post my first video, it was on uh, Black Lives Matter and why I don't support it. Um, and that you know, shattered almost every friendship that I've ever had uh, with the exception, I would literally say with the exception of two. Um, and I've gone to many schools in the past. Like I have, I have a large group or I had a large group of really close people to me in multiple towns around me. Um, and I, I have none of that now. And I knew that that was coming. So Cancel culture, I have, you know, experienced that a little bit when I would say things here and there that people would be like, why would you say that? And, I'm, you know, I'd explain it a little bit and they'd be like, well, I know you have a good heart. Like on person to person experiences, it was like they, they knew me. They knew that I just love people, that I care about people. And they would always tell me, you know, the way that your brain works is really interesting. Um, I just don't, I just don't understand that. Or I don't, I don't think that way. So it would always person to person uh, be fine. But once I, you know, proclaimed this stance on a public sphere, I had people taking to my comments, like people who, you know, I've, I've been roommates with before, um, people who I've, you know, studied abroad with before, people who I've known since I was five, taking to the comments to say, I just want to let everybody, then everybody know that we're not associated with her X, Y, and Z, you know, really, yeah, really unkind um, things. But I will say that although, yeah, no, that wasn't easy, but <laughs> I knew that to a degree that was coming. Um, but it has been the most relieving experience of my life. So cancel culture, you know, is brutal. And I think that it's ridiculous, but I think it is so incredibly freeing for people who are not really for you to cancel you because then you are you're canceled from that life but you're free to be whoever you want to be <laughs> Why you posted something about how your dad said that you were blessed because you know people go through their whole lives never knowing who's really their people right and you had the people who weren't your people take themselves out of their way mm -hmm. I, I thought that that was so powerful and so true so profound and so great for your dad to recognize and share right. that with you. Um, do you, I, I think it's such a great message for, you know, people, you know, all people in all spheres of life. You know, we're certainly seeing this. It's very important politically. But do you feel that this has helped you to, it sounds like you had a strong sense of self coming into all of this. Um, but do you feel that this has helped you to really find your voice and take ownership of that? 100%. Yeah, I think that that is aside from the, um, you know, breaking me free of past people, um, and, you know, bringing me towards other people who are also like minded. It's also in that same you are who you hang out with. And in that same perspective, it, it broke me free of, you know, trying to be whoever it was that I thought that I was. Um, I also I felt like, I, for the past year, I would even say more than that, maybe two years, um, I've really felt restricted 
to being a certain person that I didn't feel like I was anymore. Uh, especially, you know, you go into college and you're, you have this whole, you recreate yourself, right? But everybody really recreates themselves to be the same person, um, especially at a small school like I went to, uh, you know, you're just a freshman in college. And a lot of people don't expand from that. And I felt for a while that I I couldn't expand from that, even though I wanted to so badly. So I think I was really aching for that detachment anyways, um, which is another reason why it's such a blessing is because although I you know, loved so many people in my life, I, I did feel kept in a box and I didn't want to be in that box anymore. So now I, and this is actually another thing is that um, I'm in such an incredible time in my life where I'm no longer in school, so I don't have to abide by those, you know, rules of speech. Um, I'm also, I haven't started a career yet, so I don't have to abide by my, my works or my employer's um, rules. So I knew that I wanted to speak out now because there's no going back now. All my views and my opinions are out there. I can't be censored anymore. Um, I definitely have closed off other opportunities for me, but I did that on purpose um, because I never want to live a life of being censored. It's terrible for me to see so many, um, you know, like adults that comment on my stuff saying like, I wish I could speak out if I didn't own my own business or if I didn't, you know, X, Y, and Z. Uh, so saying that, you know, they really appreciate what I'm doing. I, I, don't think that I could function in a world where I can't speak. So it's been, you know, I'm breaking the chains for myself because these are all my views and I want to be able to speak them forever. Absolutely. Um, so you are an ambassador for the Falkirk Center at the University. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? What do you do? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So that actually started, I want to say like two weeks ago. Oh, wow. um, Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's really exciting. They're an awesome organization. Um, I, so they had reached out to me on Instagram. I had followed their page for a while and I didn't really know what it was about for um, quite some time there. But the more that they posted, the more I just saw so much of what they stand for just aligned with uh, what I stand for and what I believe. And they're all about, you know, good values. They're all about, um, you know, freedom of speech. That's really uh, the most important thing that we can really be talking about right now. So when they reached out to me, they actually, they wanted to fly me out to Virginia um, the following week. And I went, uh, it was amazing. We had this, um, I forget what exactly what it was called. It's like faith summit, uh, get louder or something like that. I should probably have that, but, um, it was awesome. And I got to meet Charlie Kirk. Um, really exciting for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, there were some really awesome people there, uh, and they had such incredible speeches and, I just, I, I love being a part of what they're doing because they're really building a network with people that, and Charlie Kirk does this a lot with Turning Point USA, but targeting uh, younger individuals that, you know, feel like they can't speak out. But in reality, this is what the summit was really about, which is why it was Get Louder, is we have to speak out. And I mean, there's so many people that I know, even from my school, who have privately reached out to me uh, saying, 
you know, thank you so much because I, I none of my friends know, um, you know, that I'm voting for Donald Trump <laughs> um, or things like that. But it's terrible because um, in the name of tolerance and in the name of uh, including young people and in the name of, you know, protecting young people from the dangers of the world, this is all the narrative of the left. They're silencing so many of them. And that's the worst thing that I think that you can do to anybody, let alone somebody that's developing and trying to find their voice. So that's why I, I seriously love everything that Turning Point and Falkirk does because um, that's really their focus. And I think it's going to have an incredible impact. Yeah. What do you see as being potential for this upcoming generation moving forward? I guess I have two questions to you. Like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can answer that. Um, and then <laughs> also, um, do you think that the environment is very like from what you've researched and what you've you know now gone down this rabbit hole do you think the this current zeitgeist is very different from that in past generations mm -hmm. um, well, yeah so I think specifically for Gen Z which is my generation I think it starts in my my year I don't know. It's really, I'm on the cusp of um, Gen Z and millennial, but I identify with Gen Z um, just because, you know, so many of us, I think, and millennials, I think are a little bit more left-leaning for sure. Um, but I think that my generation is watching all of this madness and they're like, what is happening? And that's why I think it's super important that people, especially in my age group specifically, you know, lead Gen Z towards that because when you see, I remember I used to post things on Facebook um, about my views before I really spoke out. I would just share things. And um, somebody in my major had messaged me and been like, like you look like a boomer on, <laughs> on <laughs> Facebook. And I'm like, why? Because I care about stuff because things matter. And I think that Gen Z is starting to see that the views of the older generations are not just the views of the older generations. I think that millennials have really been taught that, you know, that's all outdated. That's all, um, you know, we're the, the revolution, we're the ones that are going to change the world, which is another issue I have with all the narratives out there. I think that people need to stop telling young people that they're going to change the world someday, unless they have wisdom. Because when I used to talk about, you know, things like that, things like, um, you know, like standing against, uh, you know, all the things that are already predetermined for all of us, that whole mindset of being a rebel, um, people would tell me, you know, you're going to have a real impact on the world someday. And that version of me should not have an impact on the world someday. So I think that that's something with Gen Z is that there's a lot of us um, that are being more vocal that they can identify with. So it can go one of two ways, of course. It can be them either entirely, you know, latching on to this movement because of the need to identify with something. Um, or it can be that they're seeing the light because this is truly madness. And I think it will be um, that. I, I hope, but I think it will be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're certainly seeing a lot of chaos, you know, definitely in all the yeah. cities. And I would think that that would be, you know, at least making some people question what's happening and what's causing right. all of this. I want to ask you about, so you talk about like the millennials versus Gen Z and the baby boomers and really one of the, biggest differences I think we see is culture, right? I think there's a huge uh, difference in 
the cultural narrative that's being sold and the cultural mindset um, that people are subscribing to. Mm -hmm. What do you think is, uh, do, you, do you see the differences in the culture? What do you think the role of culture is in, you know, the uh, political climate and just, you know, the world that we, and right. our country? Yeah. Well, I think that something that defines every generation, of course, is the hardships that they've experienced. And I think that that also shapes the culture of that generation. Um, because I can honestly say my generation, and I, this is something that I've also realized recently, we're so incredibly blessed. We have not experienced anything. The, the worst that we've experienced is um, COVID. That's the worst that we've been a part of. And I think that that's really done us a disservice. Um, I think the culture of the older generations who have gone through wars and who have experienced depressions or, you know, literally lived on, on farms or experienced, you know, segregation, um, like we haven't been a part of that. And obviously there are exceptions to every rule, but I think that that is why we have such a stronger older generation that is tougher and has more, more things to believe in. They, they're, they're stronger in their faith. Um, from a spiritual aspect, I think that that shapes a culture as well. We have, my generation has not been, you know, and, and regardless of belief, it is so important to believe in something. And that does shape a culture entirely. If you don't believe in anything, th there's this sense of nihilism that absolutely pervades uh, millennials, I think specifically. And that's why they're a very uh, depressed generation. Um, so regardless of what somebody actually does believe or not, that needs to be taught uh, to a, a to young people to believe that there's something bigger than themselves. Cause I think that our culture, and so this all group with generation Z and millennials, we think we're invincible. We think that we run everything. And this is why I think that the narrative is so harmful of you're going to change the world. Cause they take that and they're like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm the savior and I'm going to fix everything that's wrong with the world. There's always going to be problems with the world. And we have never, understood that like we we have it so good that we think that we can get rid of all those minor kinks and by getting rid of those minor kinks in the world we're making everything worse so i think that the culture is shaped by primarily two things is the hardships and um belief in something greater than yourself and we lack that both of those absolutely i would agree with that what would you say do you think that there's a difference in uh worldview or cultural uh, perspective between the right and the left? Yes. Hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that this actually brings me back to what I think it was like when I was a freshman in high school, they asked us, one of my teachers asked us what we think a, um, a self-evident truth is. So each of us had to stand up and say something. And mine was, that anybody in any part of the world has a right to, I don't even know exactly what I said, but something that's a very globalist perspective. And my teacher, I remember him saying, I didn't even know what being a globalist was, but he was like, oh, a fellow globalist. So he was also a globalist. I now understand that. But, um, and I still stand by that. I st so this is where I think that the right and the left um, have really started to butt heads is we're actually, we care about the same stuff. 
um, from a, a, a civilian perspective, I'm not talking about the elites and people with other, you know, agendas, political agendas and money, but, you know, normal people, we really do, we do care about the same people. We care about all people. Um, so when I look back at, I, I guess I was probably like 14 when I said that, I didn't think that I was, you know, on the left or the right. I was speaking from my heart. I really, it breaks my heart for anybody in the world to not have access to things that I've been blessed to have. What that is turned into, that real emotion on the left is turned into a driving force for something negative. So the worldview I do think is, it can be the same. It, they can't, we can have the same worldview of wanting to help people and things like that. It's just a matter of how. So when you say it's been, become used for a driving force for something negative, can you elaborate? <laughs> like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, I think that we can even use BLM as an example. Yeah, so absolutely. we all believe that Black Lives Matter, of course. Like, mm -hmm. But that emotion of wanting to stand up for whoever they perceive to be oppressed or the little man, and in the case of, you know, 14-year-old me, um, an immigrant or, you know, somebody outside of the United States, so somebody who's oppressed or doesn't have access to the things that I've been blessed to have, um, it's used to divide and it's used to give more power to those who have power. So I guess divide and conquer. But that's what I've found with all of these narratives. And this, is, this can even go back to what I was saying about net neutrality. We all want certain things for the world, but it's used as a mask. They use the emotions of good-hearted people who don't have the understanding of the implementation uh, to vessel in certain things that don't actually serve the people. So... Things like taxes. We all think that, you know, there shouldn't be people stealing from the poor. The, the poor should have access to food, things like that. But it doesn't mean that we take from the rich and give to the poor. It doesn't mean that we give money to the government. It, the, the implementation of these um, policies hurt everyone. So this is actually what started my reasoning for speaking out about BLM was I posted a quote um, from Thomas Sowell that said, if the left, I love him, <laughs> if the left doesn't, or if, if you don't agree with um, the way that the left chooses to um, help people, or, or if you don't agree with um, their policies, then they say that you don't want to help the people that they claim that they want to help. That's exactly what we're seeing with the left is that I don't agree with their policies. So then I'm told that I don't care about black people. I'm told that I don't care about immigrants or foreign or anybody. And that's not true. We all care about these people. So I don't think it's necessarily, there is a difference in a worldview, but from that perspective, I would say we all care about these same people. It's just, how do we get things done? And that's the difference. That's a great question because I, I personally experience a lot of that too. I see, you know, people, I engage in conversations with all different people that I genuinely like to have the conversation and I'm right. very much a truth seeker. Um, but I find that, you know, a lot of times when you talk to people who don't agree with you, instead of continuing the conversation, they shame you. Like you're talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter. Oh, then you don't care about Black people which obviously is not true. You know, I, I posted before, I've said, like, no sane, decent human being denies that Black Lives Matter. We all agree on that. You know, but just like the League of the Just 200-something years ago, right. nobody denies that they want a just league, but right. clearly it was not about justice. You know, mm -hmm. they had other initiatives and agendas. So 
I guess my question to you is how do you think, and especially um, I think with the younger generation, like, because, you know, I think people tend to be more emotional when they're younger and they don't have a lot of uh, wisdom. Yeah. Wisdom and so forth and experience. Um, so that's what they go on. That's, you know, that's human nature. So how do you think that we get past this attack? Because, you know, I think when you, in the beginning, you were talking about how a lot of people don't even want to say that they're voting for Trump because they're afraid of being personally attacked. You know, right. not that, you know, somebody disagrees with the policies, but, you know, then they must be a racist. They have no morals. They're anti-science. They're a conspiracy theorist. You know, right. these things they all the time. And I, I don't feel like that engages conversation. It just shuts it down. Because what do you say in return to that? Other than, I know I'm a good person, you know, like, what, what do you say to that? Right. What are you, your thoughts on that? Well, I think that the first thing that people need to focus on in order to get past that is to just to know that it's not true by yourself. I know, and the people who really know me and love me, and this is why it was so great, because all those people who, you know, left my side, they didn't really know me or love me. So the people who really matter and myself, I know that I'm not a racist. I know that I'm, you know, not a bigot. I'm not a, a woman hater. <laughs> like I've been called all these things. And the way to know that is to educate yourself. So the absolute like primary thing in order to get past that is to just at least if you have the facts in front of you and you know your heart, those words and those um, attacks, they, they lose all meaning. You know the truth, you know the factual truth, and then you also know the truth about yourself. So it just takes so much power away from those words. Um, also, I think that it's really important to know why they're doing that. They're not doing that because you're wrong. They're doing that because you're right. And what I've really learned, and I've learned this through um, Jordan Peterson. He's one of my favorite to listen to and um, love everything that he puts out. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. he says that he, you know, the people who attack you personally, it's so that they don't have to contend with you. If they were to approach you like a rational person, if, if you know, let's say that you disagreed with me and I was, you know, we were going to have a conversation. We we're going to have a debate. Instead of actually having that debate, I just attack you as, you know, you're a racist. So I don't, I don't have conversations with racists. That seems like a morally justified, like, I, I don't know many people who would want to go have a conversation with somebody who, you know, a Nazi, like that's <laughs> like, you don't even deserve a conversation. So they classify you as something that they wouldn't have to contend with. Cause if you were just a normal, rational person, then they would have to contend with you and they would lose. Right. And I, I think I would add to that. Not only would it mean they have to contend with you, but it means they have to look at themselves. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. And nobody wants to do that. <laughs> no, that, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, that those are hard things to do. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you, you said you're in, you don't, you haven't started your career. What do you think the future holds for you? What are you looking to do? What are you exploring? Yeah. Yeah. So loaded question. I mean, <laughs> it could go. Answer, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited for whatever um, I do go more towards. Um, I have realized the reason why I don't have a definitive answer is because I don't know what's available in this uh, realm. So, you know, I, I wanted to go to law school. I do think that at some point that may be in my future. I 
think that right now there's something else that I'm feeling called to be a part of. And that's really just spreading this information and, um, mobilizing people to no matter what they believe to just speak about what you believe. So I don't know what vessel, um, aside from speaking on my YouTube channel or my Instagram, um, is most useful for that. But I'm in a really great place where I'm able to do the, that stuff that I care about that I think is actually, you know, having somewhat at least of a local impact. Um, and I, I don't know what I'll do in terms of a career moving forward, but I think, you know, I just want to be able to continue researching. I want to be in the political sphere and I want to make people feel more comfortable about speaking. So, you know, whatever I can do in that um, area is where I think I'm going to go closer to, but as a definitive answer, I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. You're, you're exactly where you need to be. And I think you're doing amazing things. And Thank you. I really applaud your courage and your conviction and your integrity. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I want to ask you a little bit about social media, too, because that's really where you're doing most of your speaking. You're on YouTube, right. and Instagram, um, and certainly you talked about the neutrality platform, which we, we know they're really acting more like publishing agents, and that's right. why the Section 230 privileges have been uh, revoked. So what what is your thoughts on the big tech giants and the role that they're playing and how that's going to impact the world moving forward? Yeah, see the world because I think that you know what happens here really has an impact, right? So absolutely. I well, I mean, impacting us, yeah, right. And I think that something really important to note too is that the internet doesn't have borders. So it's not. This isn't just you know an American issue. This isn't just local. Uh, this is a world issue, and this is something that everybody um, should be concerned about because I think. Even I have a lot of people on my Instagram and on all platforms, actually, that have reached out to me from other countries that, um, you know, some people have been unsubscribed from my channel. Uh, and those are just small, small um, interventions into um, our communication with one another. But on a larger scale, I do think that that has some detrimental effects, um, especially when certain things can be either prioritized in terms of, you know, what gets shown to specific people. It, that whole thing really creeps me out. Um, the whole, you know, targeting certain people. They're really watching, yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. Like the whole ad thing and stuff like that. But the censorship is really terrifying also because what we're seeing a lot of uh, is it's one kind of voice. And obviously, um, I guess right here, I'm a little biased because I think it's the correct voice. Um, but I, I don't think that um, the wrong voice would be censored. I don't think that there's, um, if, if the wrong voice was really wrong, right? there's no use in censoring it because there's no validity to it. So if one voice is being amplified, we have to look at that. And this is actually something, this is in a different context, but something that Charlie Kirk said um, in one of his videos, which really struck me. They, it, they were talking about, um, you know, global warming and that question of, well, where's your proof that global warming exists? And the person had said, well, 97% of, um, you know, scientists, it's consensus. And, Charlie Kirk was like, well, what does that remaining 3% say? I, I'm really curious of what that 3% says because that's usually where the truth lies. And that is kind of what I 
focus on with most things. And I think that that's something that people should recognize when it comes to censorship in on social media, because if so much is being censored and all you're seeing is, um, you know, BLM and all you're seeing are these loud left voices. You have to look at what's being hidden and why is it being hidden? Why is it being minimized? So I think it's, if anything, it should prove to people that there's some truth to what conservatives are saying. Yeah, I, I would agree. Absolutely. Um, and you talk about it being, you know, it really impacts the whole world. So yeah. something I hear a lot from the left is that this notion of American exceptionalism is false, that really we're, you know, not exceptional in any, in any way, and that that's, you know, uh, you know ethnocentric, and uh, yeah, they, they dispute that often. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Well, as somebody who would have definitely agreed with that years ago, um, <laughs> I can honestly say that that is fed to us from the moment that we go to school. And that's one of those things that has really, um, you know, come back to me after realizing all this stuff is how much I was told throughout school that America is actually a terrible country. And, um, you know, just all these things as to why we shouldn't be proud Americans. I, I mean, I used to go to, I, I live near Boston, so we would always go to the 4th of July, um, you know, at the, there's that big televised, I forget what it's even called, um, at the hat shell. But, so that was really my only time to ever feel patriotic, but it always even felt weird for me. Like, I could never, like, really get behind, like, standing for my country or why it's a big deal. And that's also another thing that Gen Z and millennials lack is that connection to our country. And I think that that's largely because of academia. I could not understand for the life of me why we love our country so much. I, I used to say all the time, I didn't have a say in where I was born. So why am I proud of something that I never worked for? And that's the point. I didn't have to work for it. I was so blessed for other people to work to be here and work to preserve this country. And it's a disrespect. I never, that's another thing. We lack respect. Um, I had, it's a disrespect to not recognize what people even 50 years ago, people who are still alive that have dedicated or given their lives for our country. And when you can't accept that there are flaws in everything, then all you focus on are the flaws. And I think that's what's happening with um, the United States. Of course we have flaws. That does not mean that this country is not the best country in the world. And that's probably the worst thing that I've found um, with the left is despite all of you know the horrible things that happen over there, the worst thing that they've done is convince people not to love their country. Because I mean, they're basically imploding from the inside. Yeah, absolutely. I have two questions about that. One, do you think it does that? I feel like that is one of the main themes that, you know, we're discussing here is that there's a, they, they throw a lot of shame. Yep. What do you think that, you know, certainly the shame, like you should be ashamed of your country. We're not the best. We're not the greatest. Right. Um, that doesn't mean you're putting down other countries, by the way, you know, right, right. you know, in where you're from and respect for your, you know, the, your ancestors Right. without, you know, discrediting or uh, putting down somebody else. So do you think that there is damage that's being done by creating all this shame? Um, and then two, uh, I'll let you answer that first. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, absolutely. I think that um, 
what I've realized, you know, throughout this whole journey is, I mean, even speaking out to begin with about BLM, that wasn't initially to be like, I love my country. That was like, there's something wrong here and there's something to be um, investigated. And so even then I wasn't, you know, pro-America. I, I wasn't anti-America either. It's, it's an indifference about, well, I just, that's another privileged thing, a privilege to live in America where you don't recognize um, what it's like to not have this country. So what I found, I posted something a little bit later when I started to feel a little bit more pride about my country. Um, I posted something about, you know, making loving America cool again. Like, it's so uncool to love your country and they make you feel like some, you know, like some nerd or what, whatever. It's like the same thing as, you know, loving being a Christian or loving whatever religion, anything, caring about something. I've realized even in school, I cared about my education and that wasn't cool either. So I think that the shame um, is really deeply embedded in people. Um, I don't know about every generation, but I know for mine, caring about something is so uncool. And especially your country, when there's um, so much wrong with it, it's, it's, it's not cool at all. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty, pretty shameful, but people need to stop caring about that because <laughs> it's not actually. Right, right. They need to stop caring about that. Right. I, I think that the, the shame is really damaging because if you don't have the pride, if you don't have the respect, you see what we're seeing, this lawlessness, this, uh, you know, ability to tear things down and, yeah. you know, complete disregard. Um, yeah. So that that's really damaging. Yeah. yeah, I think that also um, that's when you get, when you don't have pride about your country or you don't, you know, you don't love your country and you see people treating it like they're treating it today, you, there's an indifference about, well, I mean, you have no tie to it. You have no connection. You need to be proud of your country in order to defend it, in order to preserve it for future generations. So it is incredibly damaging. And I would equate it to, this is why people say that Antifa and BLM are domestic terrorists, because if you hate this country and you're a citizen of this country, that's, that's what you are when you're carrying out acts of hate against this country. Um, and I think that the shame aspect of loving the country has brought in so many middle ground people towards the side of, okay, no, it is really bad. Like, cause it feels so wrong to love this country. So there, we just have a bunch of American citizens trying to destroy America because of that shame. So yeah, it's incredibly damaging. Totally. totally. What would you say are some of the reasons why you think America is great? Well, <laughs> I think the, the first thing um, that uh, there's so many reasons, but the first thing that I think has to just be mentioned is um, its founding. I, I just think that the whole story of why we even live here, um, why I, I, I'm Swedish and Irish, right? I have no, and I have family in both of um, those countries now. I don't, I don't even know them. And some people will view that as good or bad, but I'm an American. Like we came here, like all different, you know, nationalities at any time, um, not just in the, in the fine founding of the U.S., but throughout the last, you know, entire existence of the U.S., people come here. And when you become an American, you're an American. Like I know people who, um, and I never realized this until now, um, 
but I know people who even have accents because they've lived the majority of their life in another country. And it doesn't come up in my mind of, oh, this person is, um, you know, Indian or this person is, yes, maybe Indian American or, you know, things like that. But it's never, you never say my country. You're like, oh yeah, like, like our country is X, Y, and Z. It doesn't come up in people's minds to exclude somebody from the dedication or the, the belonging to this country because, um, they've even lived their whole life in another country. When you become an American citizen, you're an American. That is incredible. And that is what, I think that that is largely due to the vision of the founders, um, which I think is extremely unique. Well, obviously it's extremely unique to America, but I think that's probably the most um, incredible part about the U.S. Yeah. Well, we've covered so much. It's been so awesome. I'm going to ask you one or two more questions and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, but what do you see moving forward? We have like less than, I think less than two months now, right? Before the election. Uh, <laughs> um, what do you see if you were to make your predictions on what's going to happen and then what will happen shortly after? Um, yeah. So, I have a lot of thoughts on this and obviously it can literally go anyway. I genuinely, um, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be one of those people that says if Donald Trump loses, I won't accept it, but I, I don't see how it's possible for him to lose if we have an election that is properly handled. I don't, I, they've, the left has lost so many of their supporters, like large groups, like, um, like the, the police force law, anybody who cares about law and order, does not want Biden in office. Anybody who's remotely concerned about his mental state does not want him in office. Um, so if things were to go forward in a proper way, I, I don't see how Donald Trump could lose. Um, it's just a question if that's going to happen. So I am definitely concerned about, um, I'm not concerned about him losing. I'm concerned about Biden's, not Biden, Biden's handlers um, stealing the election. Um, I think this is how I view it either way. I don't think that, I think that if Trump wins, there's going to be a lot of violence across the country. I think that that's, you know, a common viewpoint. If, wait, did I, yeah, did I say that correctly? If Trump wins, yeah. yeah um, if Biden wins, I think that there's going to be an incredible divide. It's not going to be, you know, people, people are going to be angry, of course, but I think that there's, nobody is going to accept this election quietly. So I'm not saying that there's going to be like a national divorce or anything, but I do think that so many people are going to be fleeing certain cities that they live in. I know for me, I will not be staying in Massachusetts if, um, I don't even know if I'm going to be staying here, even if Trump is elected, reelected, but, um, if Biden is absolutely not, I won't be staying here. So I think that it's going to create a, you know, a physical, a geographic divide. Um, people who don't want to be in Democrat-led cities are going to make sure that they're, you know, in places like, like where Christy Nome, um, North Dakota. I, I leave it's North Dakota, right? Um, but yeah, so I think that people are going to be fleeing their cities um, if Biden is elected because that's just, it's terrifying. And I think um, people just want to be left alone and they want to be free. And given everything that's happening, you know, with COVID and the riots and things like that, um, they don't want to be anywhere near Democrat leadership. So 
that's what I see following the election either way. We're not going to have any relaxation time anytime soon. It's going to be a lot of uprise. I know. <laughs> We're all looking forward to some, you know. I know. Afterwards. But right. No, I, I don't disagree with you, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, hopefully things are, um, you know, uh, handled in a lawful manner that's the best way yeah Mm -hmm. for sure so my I will ask you one more question is do you have any uh advice for somebody who is either the twofold either kind of on the fence and really doesn't know they're being pulled by you know the mainstream media has their narrative and then they may be hearing other things or maybe they're just questioning are there like key reading materials or you know, things uh, that could kind of guide them. And what is your advice for people? I always say, like, being red-pilled is really scary. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people would prefer to take the blue pill, you know. And I think this is actually true for a lot of Americans. They want to, you know, go about their day, go to work, raise their families. They really don't want to be bothered. Right. Um, and, you know, that's not a judgment. That's, that's part of freedom, right? They want to live their life quietly and but when you when your eyes are opened and you start to see truth and it's contrary to what you always thought you knew that can be terrifying it does shake your worldview it you know shakes everything you thought you knew and possibly even your identity so I guess those are two like how would what would you recommend for somebody who is kind of trying to explore this and then how do they cope if they discover things that they didn't think they would you know yeah them. Yeah, those are actually really great questions. I think that the first one, I I say this to everyone that is looking to learn more, is read the book, Don't Burn This Book by Dave Rubin. Have you read it? Yes. Oh, so good. I love him. And I think that the reason why I recommend this book is because you know, he, he was on the left and he was introduced to facts and um, realized that it's, there's so much that's skewed over there. But he, he does a really good job at he's in the he's not in the middle of like politics, per se. Like, I know he's going to be voting for Donald Trump, but he's really good at, you know, like catering to both sides. So he's bringing people together in the middle to some degree. Cause I would say I'm a little bit more conservative than he is, but still everything that he puts out, I just, I identify with. I think that he, he does an incredible job at providing um, fact based uh, analysis while also, you know, emotions are important. How we, how we feel about things do matter too. So he incorporates all that. And in that book, he, there's a lot of, um, he talks about how he came to certain conclusions and what people can go do research on um, to have a better understanding. So I would always start there and anything having to do with him is um, I would definitely, you know, watch his, his uh, interviews and stuff like that. He's really great. Um, The other thing I would say is I, I would definitely, I think that's something that people get confused about is like, well, if everything is biased, where do I get information from? And that's a very valid, um, you know, question. That's why when I say research, I don't mean go receive information from somebody who did their research, even me. That's why I provide all my sources and things like that. Um, I want people to fact check me. I, I don't want people taking what I say. I'm not all knowing. Um, 
I want people to, if you're curious about, like, to destroy every narrative that you have, even a MAGA narrative, anything on the right and the left, destroy those narratives and go do the research. Um, I'm going to be putting out a video soon, actually, which you know, guides people in that direction, because I think that that's so important, is there's no quick, quick and easy way to understand all these things, which is unfortunate. Um, if you want to know, um, you have to do the research. And I can, you know, certain, like people can put the research out there, but you're never going to know if what you're believing is really based off of what you have, um, what you understand or because of a narrative, because you can't really get rid of bias anywhere. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say go to primary sources and look at, you know, look at the, the police brutality rates, um, look at what has BLM accomplished. Uh, and, you know, especially if you're left leaning, um, you're going to have bias, but the truth is going to, on either side, you'll have bias, but the truth will always defend itself. So um, rely on numbers and um, things like that. I would also say, so for your second question, um, how to cope with it, <laughs> um, that is hard because, you know, there's also cognitive dissonance is a um, very yeah. difficult thing to break free from. Um, I would say if you're looking for truth, you have to actually be looking for truth. So I've experienced many times, you know, been red pilled with, with different things throughout um, different stages of this journey. There are some that are, you know, harder to swallow than others. Um, but when you're actually looking for an answer, then you'll be able to cope just because it's truth. So it is difficult because there are certain things that people identify with that the left has done an incredible job at, you know, capitalizing and, and taking everything that they can from you know, that identity. Um, I think that what people have to do is identify as an individual before anything else. And all those other things you can, you know, filter into your worldview, but be an individual first and then have your identity, you know, layered on top after you find your truth. I think that that is something that is um, really lacking these days is I'm supposed to vote a certain way because I'm a woman, right? Um, no, I'm an individual first before I'm even a woman. So I'm going to look for truth. And then, yeah, as a woman, then I'll make a decision with the truth that's in front of me. But um, my truth can't be filtered through my identity. So that has to come afterwards. So that's that's what I would recommend. <laughs> ah, all really good suggestions. And yeah, you bring up a great point. I think that's, we've filtered so much through this identity and intersectional politics today that people have forgotten that Western civilization discovered the ultimate minority is the individual. Right. <laughs> that, right? Let's defend well, the individual. I think that that's the whole problem is that we, because we're so detached from our, our like the founding of the United States, we're detached from our roots um, and we're detached from loving America. We're so separated from what it even, why, we, why we're even here. And it's because we're individuals. It's because of that realization that no man is greater than another man because of that realization that no one is allowed to take um, from another man. Like you can't take what that person has put work into to develop, things like that we've completely lost touch with that because we as kids were not only not taught about that, but I can recall many times where I was taught the opposite of that. So I, I would point directly to um, academia, to be honest, as to why that is how that is. Do you think academia is the primary uh, indoctrinator? Yes. And I don't, I can't speak on, you know, whether it's intentional or not. I have my own, um, I've done research on, 
that as well. So I have some viewpoints on that, but, but in general, I think that a lot of, a lot of what I believed to be true, um, parents have kind of, there's this tension between parents and, um, school systems where I think that this has to do with fathers being absent, but so then mothers have to work. So then the real person who is raising children is, um, teachers and, then there's anger from the the parents because, well, you're not teaching this much stuff. So then there's more influence um, being placed on the teacher to, you know, raise the children in a certain way. So I think it's, it's a failure on both ends of um, teachers taking on too much of a role and parents expecting the teachers to take on too much of a role. And it's been really so many falsehoods being pushed down students' throats. And that's why so many parents are feeling like I'm losing my kid. I've had so many messages like that. Like, you know, um, I don't know how to get my daughter to understand that this is insane. And I think that that's a hundred percent why. Do you think that uh, with, you know, COVID, a lot of schools have been shut down. Do you think there's a change in, you know, with more the homeschooling, with more, yeah, I, and yeah. I, we don't know what's going to happen with people going back to school. But do you think that that is going to shift? Yeah, I think that there's going to be, I mean, I think it's going to impact kids in a lot of ways. Um, I do think that it will be better for them to be, you know, it depends on how the parents are carrying it out. I know that some parents are doing a great job and some, and I'm not saying some parents aren't doing a great job. It's just, it's difficult. It's not an easy thing to, um, you know, just be thrown into. So it really depends on the family dynamic, I think, but I do, from a moral standpoint, I think that the kids are going to be more closely aligned with how their parents view the world because they're not, I mean, you are, like I said before, you are who you spend the most of your time with. And if kids are always with this, you know, their second grade teacher, they're going to pick up those values and those morals. So the same, I think goes with parents. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. Um, I think that probably just people should speak up. (laughs) It's really all that I want to make sure I put out there. First Amendment. Yeah, it, it can only be taken from you if, and I've said this before, um, if your fear of being canceled is greater than your fear of being silenced, that's the only way that cancel culture works. And some people have, you know, greater things to lose. I, I understand that. But um, at one point, it's going to be, we lose everything if we, if we can't speak up. So um, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much. Tell everyone where they can find you and watch all your yeah. amazing videos i'm mostly on um instagram is really you know my my focus right now um that handle is madeline.gabriella and then on youtube i think you can just look up madeline powers um i post all my videos on there as well and i'm also on twitter and on facebook but you know with the whole starting in october facebook i guess is um they're changing their their rules so they might be taking down certain accounts so i don't know if mine will make the cut <laughs> yeah i i feel you on that for sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll be sure to look for you on the others instagram twitter and youtube for sure yeah, great thank, thank you. you so much thank you
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.